not just a movie starring John Goodman. It's a thing. Fear of spiders. I'm not going to pronounce this one right, but ablautophobia, fear of washing or bathing. Electrophobia, fear of chickens. That's, that's in the, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, 5th edition. Cholerophobia, fear of clowns. And then there's euangelophobia. Now, I just made that one up. <laughs> but it's a thing. Fear of evangelism. Euangelophobia. Can I get a witness, right? Which, of course, I can't, right? If you are a euangelophobiac, this is the point. I can't get a witness out of you. That's precisely the problem. Some statistics. Anxiety disorder is the single most common psychiatric diagnosis in the United States today. Anxiety disorder. Over 40 million adults in America, that is a full 18% of the U.S. population, have been clinically diagnosed with some form of anxiety disorder. One-third of those diagnosed receive some type of treatment, whether a medical prescription or the talking cure. And by the way, medicine... And the therapies just bounce back and forth as to which one's fashionable. The, the, the medical cure is popular today. Talking cure is coming back. I know it is. It always does. Just for some financial perspective, America's mental health tab runs about $148 billion a year. You get your mind around that? I can't. $148 billion a year is the mental health bill in this nation. That's nearly... Three times the net worth of Bill Gates. And almost a third of that check, 42 billion, is related to the diagnosis of anxiety disorder. Speaking of relationships now, there tends to be a verifiable connection between last week's topic, depression, and this week's topic, anxiety, where there's smoke, there's fire. And though men are clearly impacted by anxiety, I would be one of them, studies show that women are two times more likely as their male counterparts to be diagnosed. Now, those are just numbers. They represent people, so we ought to take them seriously. But they're just numbers at the end of the day. I believe, once again, that bare statistics themselves mislead. What do I mean? Well, it's not that those numbers aren't all that impressive. It's just that I think they're relatively low. We've said it before and we'll say it again. Fear not is the most frequent command in the Bible. Now, the Bible is God speaking. I know not everybody believes that, but we believe that here. We believe the Bible is God speaking. And God doesn't just speak, he commands and directs and charges. He demands. And the single most frequent, most common command in the entire Bible, Old to New Testament, is fear not, or its equivalent. 
366 times God says, do not be afraid. Now, if the Lord goes out of his way to spill that much ink on a topic, do you think it possibly might be a bigger deal than the cultural statistics would indicate? Yeah. So what's this about? Why is this issue so common to each of us? Why is it so fundamental to what it means to be human in a fallen world? Here's my answer to that. It's the big idea on your sermon outline. Anxiety, fear, and worry are essentially about worship. Who or what we most awe, esteem, or reverence wins. Anxiety, fear, and worry are essentially about worship. Who or what we most awe, esteem, or reverence wins. Why is that true? Because anxiety treads the same territory as piety. Joel Beakey and Mark Jones explain, the word piety has become a pejorative term today. Classifying someone as pietistic often connotes excessive religiosity, self-righteousness, a holier-than-thou attitude. The origin of the word piety, however, is more positive. The Old Testament term for this word means the fear of the Lord. That's what piety is. And the equivalent in the New Testament means reverence for God. And perhaps you already smell what, what I'm cooking here. Anxiety is about piety. Fear, worry, phobias are religious in nature. They're about who's sovereign. They're about who's in control. Just this last week, uh, local Twin Cities author John Bloom uh, wrote this in a blog post. Who or what you believe is most powerful will be master of your thoughts and actions. He's right. He just published it on Thursday. I'll say it again. Who or what you believe is most powerful will be master of your thoughts and actions. So, parenthetical statement, 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That holy trinity of virtues will assault fear every time. That is why the secular psychologies, especially as it relates to anxiety, are wanting. They are thin. Now, shame on the church that doesn't offer the alternative to the fear of man, namely the fear of the Lord. The church is sitting on the answer here. But worldly wisdom at this point will fail you. It's insufficient at best. Mount Evangelical Free Church, we must come to see the emptiness of the world's wisdom and the fullness of the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Beware the poverty of the secular psychologies and believe in the richness of Christ-centered soul care. Anxiety, fear, and worry are essentially about worship. Who or what we most awe, esteem, or reverence wins. Okay, so how do you counsel such folks? Well, Let's remember the five keys to gospel-saturated soul care. Remember, this is not a conveyor belt like they made Tonka trucks back in the day. It's not just one thing to another thing to another thing. 
These are five keys. You walk in like a custodian to somebody's life. You're taking care of their... I feel naked walking out behind the pulpit, but i got to show you my belt. And i got five keys jangling off my belt. One key is understand them. The other key is uh, appreciate them, labor to appreciate them. Then it's come to sympathize with them. Then it's admit you're a whole lot like them. And then it's counsel God's word to them. They all kind of dangle and jangle, and you need all five if you're going to have a fruitful conversation with someone who's struggling, particularly in this area. Resist the temptation with all your might to minimize these keys. These keys properly turned will grant you access into the soul for whom you seek to care. Understand, appreciate, empathize, confess, then counsel. I assure you, people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. So by all means, speak the truth, but stock it up, stuff it full, load it heavy with love. Okay? Well, then what? Well, tell them just two things. Two things. First, tell them, the fear of man is incredibly tempting, yet it's nothing more than an idolatrous trap. Tell them. Tell them the fear of man is incredibly tempting. But it's nothing more than an idolatrous trap. Now, the amount of scripture on this topic is overwhelming. As we said, 366 times, God says something like, don't be afraid. And you've heard it before. I mean, you think about your calendar year. That's one for every day of the year, plus one particularly anxious day where you get two of them. One verse this morning, simply for this reason, Proverbs 29.25 is a perfectly balanced summary of the entire biblical teaching on fear and anxiety. Everything is here. We're just going to unpack both sides of that for all it's worth. little poetic couplet here. So let's look at the first half of Proverbs 29.25. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man lays... A snare. Now, I think that's too much. So let's put it in quarters. And let's take the first half of the first half of that verse. First idea we need to be clear on. The fear of man. What is the fear of man? Well, culture might call it social anxiety or avoidant personality or codependency. That was hot 20, 30 years ago. Peer pressure? The Bible is slightly more concrete and direct in its use of language. This is why the Bible wins. What are these things? Well, they're actually one thing. They're all the fear of man. Not to put too fine a point on it, but it is the universal condition of everyone everywhere. A biblical counselor And author Ed Welch writes, The fear of man is such a part of our human fabric that we should check for a pulse if somebody denies it. Yes. That quote, by the way, was from Ed Welch's groundbreaking 1997 book, When People Are Big and God is Small. And if you've never read it or you want a copy of it, I'll just give you mine. You have to come home and get it. It's on my kitchen table. 
When people are big and God is small. In addition, Ed Welch, I'd recommend his more recent book called Running Scared, Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest. Running Scared. And then he has a a small group curriculum called When I Am Afraid, a step-by-step guide away from fear and anxiety. Ed Welch is a sage on a lot of topics, and he'll be a steady guide here in the scriptures on this matter. Here's some of what Ed Welch has taught me. The fear of man asks questions like, what will they think of me? How do they feel about me? What might they do to me? What will they say to me? The anxious person knows a life of fear, fear of man, so it knows a life of peer pressure, overcommitment, people-pleasing, needing others, fear of exposure, frequently second-guessing. You get easily embarrassed. You lie. You're jealous. You avoid people, and you constantly compare yourself with other people. Anybody guilty of this? Of course you are. Me too. This is the fear of man. Now, second quarter of verse 25. The fear of man lays a snare. Snare. You know what a snare is? It's a setup. It's a trick. It's a con. It's a trap. Fear of man, this universal condition of mankind, is a trap. Why? Two reasons that I can think of. You could probably add a lot more to this list. I'll get the list started. Fear, anxiety, and worry is servitude. It's servitude. It's captivity. Why is that so? Well, 200 years ago, a prolific pastor and author named Charles Simeon observed, a man who is dependent upon the world for his happiness must of necessity be in bondage to it. A man or a woman or a boy or a girl who is, everything is riding on the world's approval and your happiness is related to it, you will be in bondage to it. You know that's true. That's not just a private subjective opinion. That is a public objective fact. person who's dependent upon the world for his happiness must of necessity be in bondage to it. That man, Charles Simeon, died 20 years before Sigmund Freud was born. We don't need the secular psychologies. We've got them. We are free to consult them. But we don't need them. We need Jesus. We need the Bible. We need dead Puritan and Victorian preachers. That's what we need in 2015. The fear of man lays a snare. So that's one reason, is that you're you're enslaved to the one whom you fear. Another reason uh, that the fear of man is a trap, it's a snare, um, is this. Think about it this way. If the fear of man is essentially what are they thinking about me, How are they feeling about me? What will they say to me? What will they do to me? If that's what the fear of man is, and it's the universal condition of mankind, and if the fear of man, as Welch says, is when people are big and God is small, you see the setup coming? 
if I'm afraid of you, but you're afraid of me, and they're afraid of us, hmm, we're all afraid of each other. That's weird. That's not just weird, that's pathetic. And I mean pathetic like in the old time sense, pathos, full of excessive pathos. That's pitiable. It's sad. It's lamentable. It's also a little funny when you think about it. We're all a bunch of scaredy cats. The fear of man lays a snare. And because anxiety is about piety, at the end of the day, it's about idolatry. The fear of man is incredibly tempting, yet it's nothing more than an idolatrous trap. Well, that's the problem. What's the solution? Well, the second thing that you would want to tell yourself and the person you care for that's struggling with anxiety is this. Point two. Tell them the fear of the Lord may sound like a simplistic solution, yet nothing could be further from the truth. So anxiety, fear, and worry are essentially about worship. Who or what we most awe, esteem, or reverence wins. So tell them, tell them the fear of the Lord. I know, I know this sounds like a simplistic solution. This is one of the crosses we have to bear in mega-educated America, sophisticated America. The simplicity of our faith. Tell them the fear of the Lord may seem like a simplistic solution, yet nothing could be further from the truth. So let's see Proverbs 29, 25, and all of its multifaceted, not to mention practical, glory. The fear of, the man, fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Notice how this couplet of Hebrew poetry lines up parallel. You have to look at your Bible to see this now. Fear is contrasted with trust. And then you have man contrasted with the Lord. And then snare is contrasted with safe. This is the beauty and simplicity of Hebrew poetry. It doesn't get more sophisticated than this, actually. It's tailor-made for preaching and teaching, yes, but also for counseling. You can counsel this. This preaches, but it counsels. This caribou is really well. You can counsel this. Second half of verse 25. Whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Let's take a look at the... Second half of verse 25, and again, let's, let's just hit it with our hammer and divide it in two and look at trusting in the Lord. You say, what's there to notice? Answer, everything. Everything is here in the third quarter of verse 25. Everything. You skim over this, and you skim over salvation. You shortchange this, and you can't get saved. You see, the first quarter of verse 25 is sin. The second quarter of verse 25 is the curse that results from sin. What's going on in the third quarter of verse 25? You know what's going on in the third quarter of verse 25? Redemption. 
This is our deliverance and our rescue and our recovery. Whistling in the dark is not the answer to anxiety. Positive self-talk is not the key to slaying your panic. Cognitively reframing your fear is not a cure. What is? One thing. Faith. Faith in the Lord. Yahweh of the Old Testament in this case. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice once again that trust runs parallel to fear. These are synonyms. Recall that the fear of man is, what would they think of me? What would they feel about me? Uh, what would they say to me? What might they do to me? And by the way, we live in a country, we live in a country, I've said this before, that doesn't face a raised fist or a raised machete. You know what we face? Raised eyebrows. That's where your witness will cost you today. One of these, not even both of them, just one little of these hairy things goes up. Somebody finds out you go to an evangelical church and, and 21 brothers lost their heads along with their eyebrows two weeks ago on Olivian Beach. So that's as bad as it gets, and this is as simple as the answer is faith in the Lord. Whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. What is trust? We've seen it. Whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Now, if we're anywhere near the truth and anxiety here, which I trust that we are, that means trusting in the Lord is, it's not just believing in God or faith in Jesus. It is that. It's just a lot more. The person trusting in the Lord has a perspective, a practical, life-changing perspective, 180 degrees different from the person who's trusting and fearing People, the person who trusts in the Lord says, I'm feeling anxious. What will God think of me? What does God feel about me? What will God do to me? What does God say to me? In this scenario, God is just what he is, namely and people, small, eeny, teeny, tiny. So what is trust in the Lord? Trust is abandoning all other resources and throwing yourself on the all-sufficient rescue of Jesus Christ. Lyrical theologian Timothy Brindle writes, Our help is not in 12 steps or in a book on the shelf that sells best, like health and wealth mess that compels self's flesh. Because with self-help, guess what? You're helpless. Because in self is indwelt death, so it's not in attempts to keep self well kept. Only Jesus Christ himself can save us from ourselves and hell's depths. So what's the remedy for your sinning? Is it in performance-driven moralism? Nope. It's falling on the Lord who's risen whose infinite grace is, of course, sufficient to be reborn, forgiven, and adorned with wisdom and freed from your morbid anxiety prison and equipped for his mission, only beholding his glory can transform a Christian. End quote. That's from his song, The All-Sufficiency of Christ. That's trusting in the Lord. It's banking on Jesus. 
Not on self-help or worldly wisdom or anything else in this sin-soaked, completely broke planet. Okay? Trusting in the Lord is fearing Him and worshiping Him and enjoying Him and hoping in Him. That's the trust of which verse 25 speaks. That's why the fear of the Lord is always the antidote to the fear of man. Fear of the Lord is the antidote to the fear of man. And that is why only the Word of God, not the world of God, has the answer on this one. The world of God doesn't have the answer to this one. When the world of God embraces the Word of God, then it will have the wisdom of God, and it will have the fear of the Lord. The only cure to anxiety is trusting in the Lord. So if the first quarter of verse 25 is the sin, and the second quarter of verse 25 is the curse, and the third quarter of verse 25 is redemption, what's the fourth quarter? You know what it is. It's the blessing. If the snare is the curse, then it stands to reason that safety is the blessing. One more time. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Now, one thing to say about this, because um, as we close, I know that we've dealt with the fear of man, and yet there's another species of fear of anxiety that we haven't talked about. Uh, fear of heights. Fear of spiders. We mentioned that. That's not people. Fear of taxes. Fear of washing or bathing. Fear of losing a possession. Fear of scary movies. Fear of disease. Fear of a diagnosis so you don't know what's going on. Fear of pain. Fear of death. What do you do there? Well, the Lord is the sovereign king of all of those. And when you are in his hand, wherever he brings you, like when he brings me 30,000 feet in the air and we go to St. Louis in a metal bucket, I freak out. I've been in airplanes all my life. And I still just panic, panic, panic. We're in the hospital. Scary stuff. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. If you have a gigantic vision of God's sovereignty, which some of us believe that we do, you find out how gigantic your vision is when you're 30,000 feet in the air. Or you get the diagnosis. Okay? So these are related. What's the blessing? One more time. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. This is neat. The word for safe here in verse 25 means something like set on high beyond man's reach. Why? Because if you were to turn in your Bible to Proverbs 18.10, you'd read these words. We sing them. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it, and he is safe or saved. That's this word. Now, the same word appears at the end of Proverbs 29, 25, and Proverbs 18, 10. It means that the one who trusts in the Lord is put way up high, beyond the reach of fear. Far above anyone or anything that would strike fear into our hearts. That's awesome. 
That's spectacular. That's what the fear of the Lord does. It creates the right kind of assurance and conviction. It's faith's job to do that. A hip-hop artist, the 116 Click, wrote a song called Courage. And the hook for this song says, I walk with the confidence of ten men only because my confidence is in him. That's the refrain. And they just beat that drum the whole song. I walk with the confidence of ten men only because my confidence is in him. That's the fear of the Lord. It's trusting in Christ. It creates boldness and openness and frankness and candor and freedom in your everyday life. Every day, think about it. The one person who can, could, and should squash you into eternal oblivion with his boot heel killed his son instead of you because he loves you so much. He bled and died for you that you would go to heaven forever with him. And he's on your side? On the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures. The Bible says he's soon to return. King Jesus will return in order to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. And you are safe. Safe as a kitten in the sovereign arms of Jesus Christ. Who was I supposed to be afraid of again? I forgot. Does trusting in Jesus make a difference with your anxiety? Yeah, when you put him on. Yes. Yes. The fear of the Lord may seem like a simplistic solution. You've got to get inside the riches of the Lord to see the treasure trove of it. But it's true. Nothing could be further from the truth. Anxiety, fear, and worry are essentially about worship. Who or what we most awe, esteem, or reverence wins. So how do we counsel such folks? Well, remember the five keys to gospel-saturated soul care. Seek to understand them. Labor to appreciate them. Come to empathize with them. Confess you're a whole lot like them. And counsel God's word to them. Tell them the fear of man is incredibly tempting, but it's an idolatrous trap. And then tell them the fear of the Lord may seem like a simplistic solution, yet nothing could be further from the truth. Next week is the fourth Sunday of Lent. I I want to challenge everybody here. This is really, really neat. Nobody knows anything about this except for a few of our elders in my family. Go to redemptionhouse.net this week. Redemptionhouse.net. Redemption House is a live-in addiction recovery home nine minutes from here. And they're going to be with us next week. Because we're going to talk about counseling the addict. And a new friend by the name of Dale Stinson will be joining us along with perhaps some brothers from, from, that, from that house. Next week, fourth Sunday of Lent, the topic is counseling an addict. The text is 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. And the focus is the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. I can't wait. Hope to see you then. Right now, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Lord, we're so afraid. I, 
I'm so afraid. And it's not the fear of the Lord. It's not the good kind. It's not the worship of the Lord. Uh, I just act like people are big and you're eeny, teeny, tiny. And I'm so sorry. Lord, I'm so sorry that the pulpit can be a coward's castle. I'm amazed about how timid I can be over my fence post. I pray that you would help us to know how absolutely, totally, 100% guilty we stand before you. And then to know that that doesn't keep you from us, Jesus. It's what draws you to us. You want to save us. So, may we turn away from the fear of man or the fear of heights or the fear of clowns or whatever it is and run into the arms of Jesus in whom we can be safe. In Jesus' name, amen.